Good day, everybody listening. Welcome to episode 30 of the High Action Podcast. We're here today, fresh off of tour from Southern Oregon. How are you guys feeling? You guys, uh, Perry, how was that flight back? How was your 5 a.m. lobby call? You know what? The lobby call wasn't too bad. I was uh, accompanied by some flight crew members, and I gotta say, my experience on Delta, both out to Oregon and back to New York was terrific. So uh, Delta, if you ever want to sponsor our podcast, uh, we're giving <laughs> you some love. And John, how are you feeling after the, the Friday night uh, pizza parlor hang? Ooh, man. <laughs> yeah, that was certainly one of those nights on the road, wasn't it? That was fun. Um, my trip back was great. And I flew Delta too. And man, I tell you, they're so nice and got the guitar on the plane both times and and was upgraded so yeah you know delta if you want to sponsor three guitar players i would say that we would be a good fit for you guys and shout and shout out to creekside pizza in ashland Mm -hmm. that place was legit and as a you know new yorker of 12 13 years i'm usually disappointed when i order pizza but that was cool that was pretty good creekside pizza in ashland we are, of course, talking about a tour we just finished up in Southern Oregon. We did um, some clinics and some educational outreach things in Ashland and Medford, and we played a great show at the Grizzly Creek Winery Grizzly in Peak. Ashland. Yeah. Grizzly Peak. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I lose the fine definition of many words these days. It comes with age. Um, and it made me think about wanting to talk about dialing in our sound live, both as this ensemble, which is unique in its own way, and just in general, some general tips and things that we've learned over the years of doing it. Before I do that, I want to remind you guys to check out New West Guitar Group on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash New West Guitar Group. And I want to give a shout out to Heritage Guitars, who make this gorgeous H575 that i uh, broke in on this tour. It was the inaugural New West tour for the 575. So only, you know, a thousand more gigs on this thing and it'll uh, it'll be beaten into submission for well, New West. Well, speaking <laughs> of dialing in your sound, you were pretty happy with that guitar. Yeah, I was experiencing a lot of uh, different things with this guitar versus my Gibson 175, which has a thinner top and is a little more crispy sounding, whereas this Heritage with the thicker top has a little more like low punchy mids and I thought actually blended a lot more with your 175 Perry. So let me, we were let having me hear a blast. It real quick. Let me get a little demo. Yeah, yeah. So first I'll play it acoustically. Even there you can just kind of hear this this low throaty mids. And if I... thing that was tripping me out on this tour was the sustain ah i wasn't used to having that and that's because your 175 that you've been using has a thinner top so you feel like it doesn't give as much resonance i think between the thinner top and the wooden bridge you know we have certain ensemble lines a perfect example is uh the opening line to after you've gone yeah like that note never rings that long on my on my 175 so I was having fun with that. It might have been driving you guys crazy, but I was really having fun with the sustain. No, that's that's good. This week. 
Yeah, the wooden bridge dampens the sustain a little bit. I I remember that from my years of wooden bridge playing. So. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about achieving the new West sound live first. I think that's a good place to start. And that's something that I came into after you guys obviously joining the band in 2015. And um, I'd say the biggest thing for me joining the band and getting into your guys's sound habits, let's call it, was really dialing in playing more percussively and muting. That's a big part of New West, right? John, would you agree that a lot of the parts that you guys have written over the years play around the percussive aspect and the muting or not muting of lines to bring out contrast in the music? Yeah, the articulation in this group definitely by far brings the ensemble together. And um, that kind of started out of necessity. I mean, this, you know, for those who are listening and, I pretty much always play my L5 in New West, and this guitar, um, you know, you can get you can get a lot of feedback from an instrument like this because it's a really big guitar, and you'd, you'd be surprised for those who haven't seen New West play live. We can sometimes get get to some volumes, you know, some good volume in some room, and so I've always found that muting with this guitar, you know, helps me tame a lot of that, and. In an interesting way, when you mute the string too, I feel like you cut out all of that, well, you know, high-end frequency that isn't necessary for certain parts. And, and when you're playing really rhythmic in the group and trying to keep a groove, um, even down to the rhythm playing, I feel like that the muting really is such a key ingredient with that kind of part. And then when you play more melodic lines in New West and you got a lot of sustain and you're really getting more of the sweetness and the tone um, but yeah, muting has been a big thing and, and definitely, I mean, we talk about this a lot when we all started this, this band, I feel like our technique really bloomed in that, in the right hand and the left hand control, uh, and, and really learning how to, how to use those parameters to make the group sound tighter for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Perry, we had an interesting moment in our, um, in our sound check at the Grizzly Peak Winery on Friday where you went out into the audience into the audience section to listen to what John and I, what our blend was, which we'll do often. Someone goes out in the audience and just gives a quick listen because as we know, it sounds a lot different from the audience perspective than it does to us with our 10 inch amp speakers on stage. Right. Right. And you made a note to me that was really good. I wanted to kind of discuss it. said, Hey, you know, FYI, your, your high end's getting a little lost out in the house. It doesn't sound like it does right up on your amp. You know, so yeah. to compensate for that, maybe boost my highs a little bit, turn my lows down. Talk a little bit about your experience of of just general sound checks with New West over the years and things you've learned. Yeah, boy. Uh, well, as we can all attest to, it is a bit of a process to dial in our sound as a group um, to where we really feel like what we're hearing on the stage is what the audience is going to get as well. And mm-hmm. one of the more frustrating elements of being a guitar player, especially a jazz guitar player, is exactly what you're talking about, Will. When you're on stage and you're hearing your sound and you're going, okay, I like what I'm hearing. And then someone like me goes 30, 40 feet out in the audience and it sounds uh, significantly different. And that has to do a lot with like the acoustics of the hall you're playing in, maybe the lack of the hundreds of people that are about to show up. Because as we know... 
when you put a bunch of warm bodies into a room, it's going to help dampen the sound and it's going to help achieve more of the clarity that you're hearing on stage that may not be present in soundcheck. But you can't mm -hmm. always rely on that. So I think part of the process is just having somebody there that you can trust, whether it's a band member or a manager or a sound person that you're really, um, you know, uh, you have a trusting relationship with, which can take time with sound people. Just so you can know, all right, well, this person's telling me my sound is not as clear, so I have to adjust. But that is the frustrating part because then you kind of have to accept hearing your sound on stage in a way that you may not want to. Yes. And when it comes to New West, one thing that I have realized over the years is that my approach to tone has to be an approach that it works for all three of us, which is different than mm -hmm. my approach for tone when I'm playing with uh, my quartet. Right, which is mm -hmm. bass, drums, and piano, or bass, drums, and saxophone. Because we're all playing the same instruments, because timbrely we're like very close, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, we have to sort of realize that when we blend our sounds together, um, you know, the choices that we make in tone are all going to affect each other. So oftentimes I try to play with a bit of a brighter tone than mm -hmm. I want because I think the combination of playing either in the mix with you and John, or if I'm playing the lead being slightly above you and John, it just it comes together as a more full, balanced tone between the three of us than if I was the only guitar player in the band, I might establish a different sound. Now, we're talking mm -hmm. about minutia details that maybe a lot of people wouldn't hear, but for guitar players, it is significant, and it does make a difference in terms of uh, how the overall sound is achieved. It would be really interesting to be able to watch one of our gigs from the perspective of the audience, just to sit there and watch a gig, listen to what it sounds like after all these years, because we would probably just learn a bunch of things that we didn't quite get being on stage or listening back to recordings. The recordings compress the audio. They, you know, it's not quite the same. That being said, a big part of us tweaking our live sound is listening back to gigs that we've done. And just hearing, you know, whether it's like, oh, the blend of the pencil mics for the acoustic guitar versus, you know, how bright or dark the, the solid state amps are for the arch tops, you know. Yeah. Um, John, about acoustic playing, you did a, a some acoustic playing on this, but you didn't have any monitors this time. What are some tactics you use when you have to play, whether it's an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar and you don't have a monitor and you're hearing your sound more from the house maybe than you are on stage. Yeah, I've grown to get more comfortable with that over the years. In fact, for me, live sound is no longer like how much am I hearing up there, it's how much am I feeling. And I try to kind of feel the sound in the whole room. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really don't care for monitors very much. I, I think they really mess up my sound. I think that they raise the overall volume. I think that it causes the drummer to play loud. I, I just... I've been in a lot of situations where I just prefer that the monitors are so minimal. On a lot of the gigs I do, um, I try to share a monitor with the bass player or something. And then the acoustic guitar, um, yeah, I mean, it definitely changes the sound of the instrument a lot, you know, because it, it's like a sponge. It's taking in a lot of sound. I mean, the acoustic guitar has, you know, 
not a magnetic style t type of pickup thing going on. It's really causing, it's picking up the vibration of the top of the instrument. So when you got a lot of sound coming onto the top of the guitar and it's coming back at you through the monitor, it changes the sound. So I, New West is an interesting band for me because it's one of the few bands where I'll play in some situations and a lot of my guitar sound, a lot of my acoustic guitar sound is coming through the monitor. I've tried that with the baritone too to kind of expand the the overall frequency range. But yeah, over, overall, I'm I, these days unless the sound is really weird in a live situation, I'm always just trying to like minimize the sound on stage as much as possible and kind of feel the overall sound around me. And my ideal New West gig is especially when we're playing electric guitar is where I can really hear everybody's amp because I'm standing in the middle of everybody, which is kind of convenient for me. And whoever's playing acoustic is slightly kind of turned in a little bit, which it's away from the audience. But mm -hmm. whenever the acoustic player turns in and I can hear it, man, it just it, it feels so good and it sounds really good to me. I feel like that's sometimes when New West sounds its best mm -hmm. in those situations. And on this tour, um, Perry and I were both playing amps that were a little foreign to us, whereas yeah. you had your uh, your Henriksen Bud. Yep. Bless bless Henriksen. Shout out to Henriksen amplifiers, and that's quite often an issue for any guitar player traveling is most of the time you'll be playing some backline amplifier that you may or may not be familiar with. And I thought it'd be good to talk about some ways that we can try to draw a somewhat consistent sound out of any amp. Obviously, the more um, EQ tweakability that the amp has is really helpful. Um, I'd say EQ is really the word here. I'd say in general, to get an amp in a zone that that feels open and responsive to me i usually roll off some bottom end and roll up a little bit of high end mm -hmm. that's especially if we're talking about three arch tops in a new west guitar group ensemble setting we all know if we're playing a unison line and we like hit a low note it sounds fairly even here but man like even in that winery with those wood ceilings <laughs> that low f would rattle you know yep. so just ways to to tweak our Whatever amp you're using, or you know, God forbid, if you're just plugging straight in to a house PA monitor, if you have to go ampless, just getting it in that right frequency zone. Perry, what do you think about that? Yeah, obviously that's that's super important, and there's ways you can dial in your amp. Um, I tend to do the same thing, Will, in terms of lowering some bass um, and boosting a little bit of treble. Uh, also, on most amps, I might boost the mid slightly. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not necessarily necessary on every amp. When I'm playing through the Henriksen, I pretty much have stuff at 12 o'clock for the most part. And I hmm. think there's so much that you can do with your um, with your your hands and your instrument to try to achieve uh, the tone that you want from the amp. That's that's also a, a really important place to focus. Like one thing I was noticing was uh, on the tour when we were playing, and I was doing the uh, "Rule the World" intro, right? Or, mm -hmm. or just the melody. Like normally, if I'm playing in here, I might play this down here. Like, I might play it like almost tosto. Nice full toward sound. the fingerboard, you know. But at the volume we were playing at in the um, venue we were playing at, I was back here by mm. you know by my bridge essentially, and it was and it didn't sound quite as like nasally as it does right now because at the yep. volume we were playing I felt like that was almost still slightly too dark for me and I had my tone on my guitar pretty much all the way up so yeah I think 
the lesson that I've learned over a lot of years when it comes to dialing in your sound live is that you have to be able to adjust on the spot, on the fly, for whatever scenario you're in. You know, whether it's the venue, if it's if it's causing a little bit of lack of clarity, you got to be able to adjust. If the volume is louder and it's changing your your tone, you got to be able to adjust somehow. So, mm-hmm. just sort of being prepared for those experiences, um, I think, is sort of the the mark of a seasoned pro. Yeah, and and you know something else is if you're at a venue and there's a sound engineer, there's a, a sound man, sound woman that you're working with, some. You know, we've worked with a lot of sound engineers over the years, and I think similar to s- starting to change your EQ by using subtractive EQ rather than just boosting, like if you right. need more of something, try subtracting something else. Sometimes you might not need a certain thing in a monitor if you have it. You don't just have to start with a baseline of, okay, let me get a little bit of everything. Maybe just play first and hear you know, maybe there's a ton of trumpet coming out of the monitor three feet away from you, so you don't need it in your monitor. Or the pianos are blaring in the mains, so you don't really need that much keyboard in your monitor. You know, listening first rather than just saying, okay, well, let me just, just you know, let me add right away. I think that's, from what I've found, you guys might agree, um, I don't think you have to necessarily add things in from the start. I'd say listen and then react. Well, yeah. well so think, the John? common issue, right, is that you lose clarity, um, especially on the low end with these guitars, with, with mm-hmm. like, you know, jazz style guitars when you play at volume. So our favorite discussion as of late has been around like compressors or boost or some sort mm-hmm. of tightening EQ pedals. Mm-hmm. So I throw it to you, Will, in terms of like, you tried the S&P, which I have. You've tried other uh, sort of passive overdrive pedals, and now you're about the MRX Timmy. Is that what it is? Oh, the MXR. MXR yeah. MXR Timmy, yeah. Um, so I think of overdrive pedals as EQ pedals. Yeah. Let's take the word distortion and throw it away. I think that's like one of the worst terms that a guitar player gets pigeonholed into with overdrive pedals because if you say I have a distortion pedal, that just sounds horrible the moment you say that, right? Mm-hmm. But let's take three different types of overdrive. <laughs> so let's take um, my MXR Timmy, my MXR Sugar Drive, and an Ibanez Tube Screamer, and let's just talk about what each of them do. So Perry, you were mentioning the exotic SP compressor, and you were complaining that um, it just wasn't giving you the mojo you wanted, right? At, so, at times, yeah, it's like there's probably something better out there, and I'm, I think mm-hmm. I'm finally going to make a switch here. But yeah, and so what I was suggesting is, well, get something that's similar size, you know, you smaller profile pedal that has, you know, volume, gain, bass, treble. Hmm. And in the case of the Timmy, which is a great pedal that is, I think every guitar player should have. It also has three different types of clipping, where it's wide open, where it's a little compressed, and where it's very compressed. Uh, for a jazz box, you don't really need any compression. Just keep it wide open. You know, you could boost the volume a little if you want a volume boost. Turn the bass down a little bit, boost the highs a little bit, and just tweak the gain if you want a little more sustain. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Again, that's more of a sound and EQ thing than a distortion pedal, right? That's the bad word for the day. Is yeah, it's not an it's not an overdrive issue. But getting back to the central issue of at volume, we lose clarity of sound. And when you're at mm-hmm. like 
a, a venue that's not supporting that clarity, you really have to make changes. So sometimes drastic changes. Yeah. Right? So so maybe that adjustment is this pedal, the Timmy that you're talking about. I am intrigued because I've put a lot of time into the SP compressor and it has helped me mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. But there's always these moments where I like start digging in, whether I'm playing like a chord thing, you know, whether it's like That, the last couple nights I had gigs after our tour and I was using the same setup but whenever I would dig in like that I would lose clarity mm -hmm. in the you know but the lines if I'm playing with a lighter touch felt nice and clear yep so if I get this Timmy pedal are you, are you telling me that's not going to happen or is that going to happen well that's one of the three pedals we're discussing so let's talk about the next one the MXR sugar drive which is the same size these we're all talking about mini pedals here for the sake of saving space on your fly board uh, the sugar <laughs> drive is based on like a clon type circuit which basically boosts your whole signal especially the 1.2k so the high mids right that's kind of a sweet spot for an arch top guitar uh because you don't really want to base a bunch you don't want to boost a bunch of the low end, but maybe you'd like a little more presence on the on the high mids. Right. So I also had that uh, pedal on my board just to kind of give a little extra sauce for some of the high energy songs like Rivercrest yeah. or tunes which like Shadow Play, where I just wanted a little more sustain. Um, and if you compare the Sugar Drive to the Tube Screamer Mini, which I think both of you guys have, yeah. Tube Screamer actually cuts off a bunch of bass and uh, boosts a bunch of mids. It's more of a drastic pedal than a clon type circuit. So those are three significantly different ones. What I used for New West, I thought was nice. I had a Timmy to kind of get my core sound in a good zone, and then the sugar drive to just boost it in the sweet spot. The Tube Screamer for me kind of gets, it, it really drastically alters the sound of an arch top sometimes. Yeah. And there's also the factor that it's never the same in two rooms. Mm -hmm. So we, we talk about this in a vacuum, we tweak it at home, we think about it, and then you go to two different venues and you're like, wow, these are reacting completely differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the answer is try all three. <laughs> so the three you're talking about was the, the Timmy, right? The MXR Timmy yeah. Mini, right? Yeah. The MXR Sugar Drive, based yeah. on a Klon, and the Ibanez Tube Screamer Mini. Which I already have. And I mm -hmm. yeah, I have another... I have the carbon copy, uh, which I like. Uh, I like that company a lot. So I might, I might get the the Timmy. I might go for it. But without the sugar drive, you think it would still accomplish what I'm looking for? Yes, yes. John, what do you think about having like a maximum EQ tweakability? Do you find yourself tweaking a lot of EQ or not? Well, I, you know, if that's interesting. I've kind of bent my philosophy of that tone, corner of my tone to what instrument I'm playing. You know, I have a mm -hmm. pretty wide variety of arch tops I'm playing these days between my Marquion and the L5 and the, even the Fender Quisto. So if I'm on a arch chop, I'm sometimes kind of picking those instruments. Um, pedals are a bit of a last resort for me, although I've gotten, since the pandemic, I've gotten way into tele-playing, and I've been gigging a, a fair amount with my Telecaster, and mm -hmm. I noticed that I use the Earthquaker Plumes, which is like a, um, it's like a, a boutique tube screamer mm -hmm. type of pedal mm -hmm. you know same same kind of dials level gain right and um i notice 
that that pedal just seems to really work well with single coil pickups compared to the humbucking pickups. And for me, a humbucker has always kind of been in that world of where my tone really exists on the electric guitar, um, coming from a lot of straight ahead jazz and playing a lot of arch tops. And um, I feel like that there's a there's a nice depth to that pickup and it really brings out the best in these guitars. But it's funny, like over the years, I've experimented with with tube screamer style circuits in New West mm -hmm. and never, ever liked my sound. And the, the first time I really liked the sound I was getting was actually starting to use that exotic SP compressor. Mm -hmm. So I was able to kind of corner in the which part of the mid-range and the high end did I want to kind of shelve off a little bit and and get going and that that like you said it's kind of like it's actually more of a subtraction um mm -hmm. thing than it is an addition thing and and working on that with my tone i've been really getting into that recently but uh so much so that i've kind of built two pedal boards one that i use really for my single coil stuff and another one that i'm using for like new west or traveling and, and whatnot but yeah the the pedals can help achieve a live sound for sure but a lot of times I'm thinking like which arch top should I bring and which amp because like my L5 and my Vibrolux sound great and I mean sound. I love Henriksen amps but it's those amps sound better for me with my Marquione and then you know the Fender arch top I've been playing sounds even great with the old Polytone and that sounds good with the Fender amp so I try to kind of pair up the amp yes. and the guitar as much as possible um, for me to kind of discover what range of that eq i'm i'm working in mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. i thought it'd be interesting to discuss you know some some major artists and some of the interesting live sound setups that they have i've heard a lot of interesting rumors about the way that pat has his pat Matheny, is who i'm talking about has his live sound where he's kind of got his guitar coming out of a bunch of monitors all over the stage like the word that I've heard is his sound is just kind of everywhere. Hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't be used to that. And, and I mean, what do you guys think about that, well, Perry? Like imagine having your arch top coming out of a bunch of monitors all over the stage. You could probably play with a lot of nuance. It sounds glorious. And it's not just having your arch top be in complete stereo everywhere or surround sound everywhere. It's also like probably a two hour sound check to get comfortable with the sound and <laughs> dial in the room that Matheny has afforded. Uh, so, I mean, my hat's off to him. He's, he's doing what he needs to do to get that consistent sound and get into a consistent place mm -hmm. to be comfortable. But that's not really a reality for right. everybody. And, and it's not always a reality for Matheny. Like when he worked with us at USC, he literally just plugged into a polytone and sat down. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it is interesting to discuss how people pull off their live sound. Uh, but... I think at the foundation of it for Pat, it's it's still about the fingers. It's still about his approach to the instrument that's kind of driving uh, the sound. So Yeah. I actually distinctly remember, Perry, we asked him because they did the gig at the Universal Amphitheater about six months before he came to USC. Yeah. And I went to that show. He did he premiered music from the way up. And I asked him about the sound and he 
I distinctly him saying to us that he did not use monitors. He's like, I don't huh. use monitors on stage. I stand right next to, I think Lyle was on that tour. Mm. And he's like, I stand right next to Lyle. We take the lid off of the piano. We hear each other as acoustic as possible up there. And he said, my sound is in the whole hall. And, and I think, Will, maybe that's right. where that kind of discussion rumor kind of gets with his sound a little bit is it is such an amazing thing to hear him play live. I mean, Perry and I also saw him at Disney Hall where he just sat on one of the mains and played baritone guitar literally on the main speaker in the house and, um, you know, filling up Disney Hall with that. So, right. yeah, um, it, it is interesting. Like, not very many guitarists have such a need to play in that kind of a situation, you know, in an mm -hmm. arena type of thing. But I don't know about you guys, but this is an interesting question for both of you. The What is the largest, loudest venue you've had to get a clean sound with because you know for me i can just share when we played before the pandemic with goldblum we played the glastonbury festival in england and i had two fender twin amps up there mm. and i had them really cranked and i had them as far as i could from me and man it was awesome but it was it was really kind of kind of on edge the whole time and trying to get the clarity at that loud volume and i i couldn't believe how much volume they wanted from me on stage i was not used to them saying like yeah can you get us more volume from the stage you know so i don't know if you have either of you guys been in a situation like that where you've had to play incredibly loud with a clean tone outdoor festival or something like that will um sure and i i would counter that to say that if i'm thinking of a clean guitar sound that is gonna involve some type of gain staging for me to consider it a good clean sound that's how I've developed my thing. Um, right, right. So yeah. like just plugging my Stratocaster straight into a twin reverb, that's not a sound I ever want to hear on stage. You yeah. know, I would want something like a Timmy before it to kind of just tweak it a little bit so there's a little more dynamics. And in that case, paired with a volume pedal that is such a huge part for New West Guitar Group and for most of our live sound yeah. in louder venues, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, getting the confidence of just getting it feeling right, John, like you said, feeling your sound, not just hearing it. Um, I think that's, yeah, I've been there for sure. How about you, Perry? Yeah, um, probably the main stage at the Montreal Jazz Festival. I had to play pretty loud. Um, but these guitars, we're talking about jazz guitars, they're not meant to be played as loud as a Strat. And a lot of the opportunities that you'll get playing a jazz guitar unless you're like, you know, uh, the White Stripes and you're, and you're playing like Seven Nation Jack Army White. with a box. Um, yeah, I mean, most of it is you're going to be playing with jazz ensembles that are playing relatively quieter than, say, like, you know, Pearl Jam would or something. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I think that, again, it comes back to that central question of how volume really affects the tone of these guitars. So when you're turning up, yeah, I agree, Will. You, you have to put something in there, like a Timmy, or I've been using the S&P compressor to help with the tone. But I'm also playing a 175, which is a little bit of a smaller guitar. It's easier to control some of the feedback. It works a little bit better at louder volumes. Um, I've used this guitar... It's not my preferred instrument, but I've used this guitar with my group, No Biggity, and we'll play some very loud gigs. And it is a little bit challenging. Sometimes I have to kind of adjust my right hand to prevent any kind of feedback that's happening. Um, 
or just to play closer to uh, closer to the bridge because of the necessity of clarity and sound at that volume. But um, yeah, I, th I think you know this is also where monitors come in. John's saying he doesn't like having monitors, but if I'm in a situation where I have to play that loud, I probably do want some monitors mm -hmm. back at me, um, mm -hmm. if possible. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, that was actually an incident where I was like, all I want is a monitor, which is the front vocal, and that's it. And we stood really close to each other because I felt like if I had more sound coming at me and all that sound coming behind me, it was just going to be, I was just really going to be in a tough situation. It was definitely a situation I wish I had a 335 for. That would have right. made my life yeah. way yeah. easier. But, yeah. but you know, it, it, it's there's organ trio gigs where I'm playing with a Vibrolux and I'm playing at a louder volume. So, you know, kind of the topic today of like really getting, getting a good sound live, I think for the listeners, hopefully hearing us kind of discuss some of these parameters allows you to start thinking about... Um, you know what what to adjust I like I, I really like will what you said today about just the observation of subtracting versus adding you know mm -hmm. and like what is it that needs to be kind of cut off a little bit more from my sound to sort of help with the clarity and the concept of clarity too you know what what is that because it's you know fitting apart within the sound of a band versus playing solo guitar I mean, yeah. God, I've never had to play solo guitar super, super, super loud. You know, usually I'm That'd playing a quieter volume for that, so I can really explore the panorama of sound from the amp. But yeah, I, I learned a lot today. That was that was that was good, and it was great to get back on the road. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but just playing in New West, it just man, it, you know, you come back from that and you're like, it, it really, it just reveals a lot about the state of your sound because we've all changed our sounds a lot over the years, and then you get together with New West. And you really hear how that fits in with yes. with this band. You know, it's really quite an exercise for sure. Well, as we wrap up, maybe some uh, some good points to just you know reiterate to help add more control to your live sound. I would say have a volume pedal. Um, get comfortable with tweaking the EQ on your amp. Maybe have some type of EQ or overdrive pedal where you can fine tune it to the room and just you know, listen and then act, you know, listen to how it sounds, then tweak this. And maybe even beyond that, listen and then cut something out if you need more of something else, mm -hmm. rather than, oh, I need more high end, I'm going to boost the highs. Maybe just roll the bass off a little. I think those are some good, uncontroversial tips for achieving better live sound. What do you guys think? I think yeah. they could definitely be controversial. It just depends on who you ask. <laughs> guitar sound is always a heated debate among guitar players. So, yeah. And then there's Earl Clue who plugs his nylon string into a Fender Twin Reverb. So, yep. what are and you gonna he do? Just, he's like, I just give. I gave up. He's that's what he said. I gave up. And that's Earl Clue. You know, I mean, Earl's Earl's a, Earl's a great guy too. But man, like that was he got a great sound out of it when I saw him do that. It wasn't the worst, but oh man, more power to him. Literally, well, the power of the twin <laughs> reverb to him. <laughs> we hope you all enjoyed this episode. Hope you'll join us next week. We're going to be talking about original music. It's going to be a good one to talk about. That's right. And um, sincerely, from the New West Guitar Group, fresh off the road, Mr. Perry, Mr. John, and myself, have a lovely week. That's right. So kind. Thank you, Will. Oh, and don't forget, if you're still listening, join us on Patreon. Yep. Smash that subscribe button. Smash, Smash it. it. Hit that like button. Be sure to follow us. Keep following.